Greetings, my name is James Major Burns and I am your host of The Third Degree with me, James Major Burns. And this is a safe space and outlet for myself and others to talk about what is going on in our lives and our world. This is a chance for you to see what's behind the mind of the creative versus what you think you know because what you see isn't always the truth. So people here we get to learn laugh, love, and share together. So I hope you guys are getting very excited. Dream Girls opens next Friday. So I hope you have gotten your tickets or, and or getting your tickets soon because I can bet your bottom dollar that the shows will probably sell out. And I'm very excited about that. I love performing in front of very full houses. And the type of audience we're going to have for this show is going to be one of those audiences who's going to be yelling and screaming in between numbers. They won't be able to hold it in. They're going to be singing along. So people, get ready. Get ready because you are in for a treat. We have talent from all over, people who have worked professionally, people who are aspiring to work professionally, great singers, great actors, dancers, the whole nines. It's directed by my lovely fiance, Trayvill Maurice. So it's his first time. He's the youngest director in Playhouse history in all 96 years. So we're here to make a moment. We're here for people to have a good time, to understand this story, to see themselves in this story and walk out a new person with a new light, with a new dream or just a new destination to get to. So without further ado, I have a lovely lady, diva extraordinaire, Miss Kim Aiken. How are you today? I'm doing good. Not as good as you, but I'm doing good. Oh, I'm doing just fine. Uh, what I didn't tell you is I thought we were supposed to be here at 11 today. Even though I wrote it down in my, it's in my notes. Oop. I got I always schedule out my appointments. It says Kim Noom. But for some reason, I thought it was at 11. So I got here early today. And then I was just sitting there. I was like, nah, Kim would be here by now. She's very prompt. She would be early. Because I got here like 10. Mm-hmm. 1045. I was like, she would be here by now. Then I was like, wait a minute. Let me let me check my phone. You it were said, just so anxious to do this interview? I was. You? I was like, let me be, I said, I'm going to be ready for her. We're about to get in here. That's why I made <laughs> my stuff, my list last night. So once I saw that it was at noon, I just, I drove down the Boney Rogers field, got my tennis racket in my bag. Huh. They have a wall down there. Got a little exercise then. Good for you. So then I drove back up, and I was like, all right, there she is. So like I said, about 15 minutes early, there she was. And I was like, start checking your schedule before <laughs> you leave. I'm a type of person that I still like writing stuff down. Mm -hmm. So when I write songs and I write everything, it's always on paper first. Right. And then I take a picture of it just in case I lose it or it gets damaged, <laughs> and then I type it out. But I like, it's a difference when I'm writing it out. I can, like, feel the characters, like, mm -hmm. in the letters. Each letter has a different feeling and character to me. No, I live and die by my phone. So if oh. I lose my schedule on my phone, my whole life is ruined. I'm not good at setting, like, timers, mm -hmm. but I just write a lot of notes right. that need timers. Right. That's why I, but I do set alarms to wake up. Yep. And I had three set for you today. I told you, <laughs> 945, 10, and 10, 15. I said, I'm going to be up and I'm going to be ready. Because I'm, um, 
a late night person mm-hmm. that stayed up until four o'clock last night. But it's that's where my mind goes. It's quiet. Um, Trey's always knocked out, mm-hmm. and I'm just sitting there with this open mind, and like I just start getting these ideas. A lot of songs that I've written, a lot of ideas. I was coming up with an idea for a one-man show last night, let me tell you. (laughs) A lot of my things come to me between like 1 Mm a.m. and after. I get up and write at 4 and 5 o'clock in the morning because you're you're fresh, your your mind is open, and you're receptive to what the universe has to give you at that point. And so the best writing that I do, I do early in the morning, and then the rest of the day is just shot. <laughs> well, I'm very excited to have you. You are very legendary around these parts. Oh, well, that's uh, terrifying. Oh, oh no, for, <laughs> for good reasons. For good reasons. You you cracked me up. So, we're just going to start this out um, from the beginning. Um, I wanted you to come on because you're a very inspiring lady that I've met over these last few years. Well, thank you. You're very strong all around, strong-minded, you know who you are, very intelligent. You don't just talk to talk. When you speak, it is based off of facts that you either know or an experience that you have had, and you are funny. <laughs> you are funny. I live oh, for no. your... Um, your fashion um, reviews. Yeah. I <laughs> the devil made me buy this dress. <laughs> I when I tell you, I wait for it. I live for. It. I share it, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I need y'all to go see this. I tell my friends, I'm like, you don't got to add her as a friend, but just go check the post on my wall because you crack me up. And it's a full review. You're not like, oh, this dress is. Cute. You're like, no. What is going on? The shoulders, the shoes, the like. Who dressed you, baby? Did you get dressed in the dark? Oh God, no. Some, some of the people that get dressed, it's like you got too much money to walk out the house looking like that. Pay somebody to slap you before you walk out the door. They pay somebody to dress them, but they needed to pay somebody to slap the person who dressed oh, just, them. That's it. That's it. No, we do. We do. Uh, the devil made me buy this dress for the Emmys, the Oscars. Is um, that what you call it? Yeah, the devil made me buy this dress. <laughs> so um, I didn't even know that. So the nice thing is that it means from about September to February, we know that we're going to have to do it, which gives me all summer off. Because surprisingly enough, doing that, because we do it in the moment. Who are, when you say we, who else are you talking about? I have a friend that every now and then, will, while I'm writing, will say something in my ear, and oh. then I'll use their stuff. But we're doing it in the moment. So as the pictures come out from the AP, we're reviewing them at that moment. And so it's really fast and the thing that I can't that I that I don't like is that as fast as I'm putting them up people are responding to it yeah. and, and I can't respond to them because I got to move on to the next person but yeah it's a, it's a lot of fun because for years 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 and years ago we had what we called the Aretha Awards because Aretha Franklin was invariably the worst dressed singer ever she was a lovely singer. But. She, she was a fabulous singer, but we will never forgive her. She showed up. Now, this is going to show how old I am. She was on the Flip Wilson show, and she came out wearing what we called the emu dress. Mm-mm. It was just a burlap. It looked like a burlap sat that was covered in ostrich feathers. And we just sat in horror looking at this dress. And we created the Aretha Awards. So every year, we would award fashion awards for the person that most needed correction. Yes. Aretha <laughs> always needed correction. 
Like you said, she could sing, but that woman could blow, but nobody apparently stopped her walking out of Saks Fifth Avenue with something. It doesn't matter what size she were, um, she wasn't, because I know I thought the same thing. I'm like queen. Now you you the queen now, but what you got on, baby? Mm, no. What you got on? Are you gonna need somebody if you if you're a new size? That means you need a new stylist. There were invariably, in, you could count on you could count the occasions that Aretha showed up appropriately dressed. It, on one hand, you could count it. And clearly, on those occasions, there was somebody at the award show or at the event that would, no, we bought something for you. <laughs> Take that off. We bought something for you. Because she was awful. Love her, but yes. she was awful. I was definitely saddened by her passing. Absolutely. I thought that her funeral was a spectacle, though. I, it went on forever. It went on. I feel on. like it was 11 hours. It went, well, think about it. You got a 50-year journey, a 50-year career. Everybody that ever came near you wanted to say something, and they let them. Why? Uh, why do they get on TV? Why do they have these celebrities' funerals on TV? Like, I understand the fans want to be there. But, it's, you know, that's it's such a personal thing. And if the family is okay with it, I, I get it. But... They they changed her outfits. Yeah. She had an outfit switch. Yeah, they changed the body. Yeah, well, it's probably one of her better looking outfits. I, it was probably, well, she didn't have nothing to say about it at that moment <laughs> either, did she? But no, it just went on forever. And I can't really imagine anybody else whose funeral would be like that. I mean, Prince passed and we didn't see nothing. Uh-uh. We didn't see nothing, so. Whitney's funeral was something. Yeah. I tell you, they let Alicia, I'll never forget Alicia Keys. That's from my whole opinion about her change. She had sang this song. I was like, mm-mm, baby. Oh, no. Mm -mm. No, there are just some folks that, wait, it wasn't Ariana Grande. Ariana Grande was at Aretha's funeral. It's like, oh, oh yeah. little girl, you in the wrong place. You didn't come to the wrong room. But apparently she had um, Aretha's blessing because you know Aretha was very vocal about artists. There's a video out. I'm going to have to send the link to you unless you've seen it. She was interviewing with someone and they were asking her about new artists. Mm -hmm. And she would, they would just say a name. And they, had, they said, Taylor Swift. She said, nice dresses. Yeah, yes. the shade. Oh, the shade of it all. She was the queen of shade. The fact, she didn't like for anyone else to be called queen. Mm -mm. I mean, she was the queen of, you see Clive Davis, he always played a good. He would always be like, in a class of her own, Aretha. But, and then the greatest voice, Whitney. He will always separate Aretha mm -hmm. in a class of her own, and then like everybody else, he would say Whitney was the greatest. But think about it now. Who is it of that caliber now? I mean, love Bay, but a good, strong church singer, gospel church singer, would blow Bay. I love Bay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Like, but she is, she's an entertainer. Yeah, that, she's that, the full that's package. Like she's, it's like more of the Michael Jackson aspect of it mm -hmm. because Mike wasn't a vocalist, mm -mm. especially the older he got. He, mm -mm. I liked his voice more as a child. Right. But he wasn't a vocalist. It was the full performance aspect. There's lights, dancers, all yeah. of that. But like you said, um, the church, just the sign. Somebody that blows. You know, there just isn't anybody like that. Because think about, I mean, Luther is gone. Luther, Luther was one of the last singers that black folks had that could stand in a single spot, not move, and kill the room. Just kill the room. Yeah, there just aren't singers. Or we don't promote singers what like that What do you that think anymore. about Jennifer Hudson? Jennifer is amazing. Jennifer can blow. 
But but what she doesn't if, like make her own music. It's like not within her own music. And I don't know if that has anything to do like with the time. Like mm-hmm. right now, making a soulful album is just not going to get you. They're not promoting out it. Soul. No. That's why everyone's everyone is rapping. Mm-hmm. Even Ariana Grande. Mm-hmm. She's a a great singer. But she has that like seven ring song where she kind of rapping, and then she has like that thank you next song where right. she's like kind of like whispering. And I just want to hear her belt her face off because, or or just sing up something with passion. I just want to be met with passion. I want to. I, feel I want somebody real at this point. And the other day, I happened to watch Lizzo, and I had been avoiding it. I had been avoiding it. Why? I, when it feels like an artist is being pushed on me. I don't want to become part of their hype machine. So I don't I want to come to it organically. And so I ended up watching Lizzo and she just she just spoke to me that morning. She spoke to what me that morning. Or what, like, she was on the Today show. Um, and it was just what I wanted to hear and it felt so authentic. She felt so real and she was so it's that quality in a new artist. She's so grateful to be there. And I love that. When you can feel that artist, I really am happy to be here and I'm really yes. happy to be doing this. It's like a real person. It's like yeah. a person you know you can sit down and have a conversation with. Right. But I like my artists. When you're on the three millionth tour of your career, you're, you're like there, okay, let's do this. Let's do this. We're going to drag it out on stage. Let's do it again. And there's no spontaneity to it. There's no creativity to it. And it may sound good, but you know you're hearing the three millionth version of this and they know they're playing the three millionth version of this and everybody just tired. And they're not grateful to the audience. They're there to get paid and they leave. Now that's not every artist, but there are artists that are like that. You know you're watching a canned performance. Right, and sometimes I'm sure when they're on performance number 89, they're like, I, I finally was able to have that type of experience of doing Shrek. Mm-hmm. We did it 53 times, I believe. Mm-hmm. And there were days where I was like, you know what? This is all I have mm-hmm. right now. This is all I have to give. And every time I started to feel like that, I was like, you know what? No, this audience doesn't deserve they this. They deserve more They than deserve this. more energy, regardless of how tired I was. Mm-hmm. Of I had never performed a show seven times a week before. So it was taxing physically. And then vocally, you know, I would be tired. We're, we're all tired. But again, I'm like, you know what? No. I have to go out here and give this audience 100% mm-hmm. and give them all of my energy like everyone else did because this is their first time seeing the right. show. Right. And they deserve that. They earn that. They earn that. But I really like Lizzo also and I, I agree with you with her authenticity because I found out about her before she like, mm-hmm. got Blew really up. mainstream. Right. And I listened to some of her songs. So even before her CD actually came out, I had like, you know, pre-ordered mm-hmm. it. And I was just listening to Juice because when Juice came out, I was like, Ooh, this is something I can dance to, and uh, it reminded me of Prince. Right. It reminded me like the the like the guitar, they like the just the instruments mm-hmm. in there, and then to know that she's a musician also. Right. A girl will play that flute. Yep. And she can sing. She but can sing. She, but she raps. Uh huh. But she can sing. Well, I, I'm I'm a little okay. This this we'll hear, we'll hear about this. I'm a little tired of product the artist as a product, that uh, they allow themselves to become a product. And yeah, I'm gonna name names. I'm tired of Nicki Minaj, cause it's like, okay, I've decided to be this thing. I'm a thing now. The look, the, the beef, the created beef, it's like, I know I'm watching product. 
I definitely have to agree with you on that because for me, with the whole beat, and I, I like Nicki Minaj because mm -hmm. I like her um, delivery as a mm -hmm. performer. I like how hard she is as a rapper and as a female rapper, like she puts dudes to sleep. Right. And regardless of what she's talking about, she's smart. So I like how she makes a metaphor. I like how she does mm -hmm. her punchlines. Right. But I was not impressed by the beef. I I say this all the time. As a rapper, um, their journeys are a little bit different. Than, than singers. Their performances are different than singers. There's not usually a full embellished performance from right. the start to finish. It's here I got something to say, the end. Right. So with Nikki, she made this song called Barbie Dreams. Right. And it was about her rapping about all these guys, all these rapper guys who either hit on her or they wanted, you know, they wanted right. Nikki's buns. And she made fun of them all. Right. So I was like, oh, this is perfect for a nice video. All right. This video about to be funny. Okay. Um, I was expecting something. And then she's in a kiddie pool with like soap suds, shaking her booty, pouring water on herself. Oh. And I just was like, Nikki, again? Yeah. Really? Where well, is your growth as an artist? As an artist? Like right. you said, she's Nikki, the queen bee, the queen of rap, but where? Yeah. Where, where's the growth? And then you want to argue. My, my thing was, I'm like, here you are arguing with Cardi B. Cardi B right now is working hard. You're making her more relevant, regardless of she making you more relevant. But like, you're just adding fuel to her fire. On right. top of that, people they got money behind Cardi right now. Right. And this is this is Cardi's first album. We're more excited. We've never mm -hmm. seen anything from her. So everything she shows us, even if she's a, a kiddie pool mm -hmm. with studs on her booty, it's new. It's new. You can't as Nicki Minaj, declare yourself as the queen of rap. And yes, I'm saying this, Nicki, and I love you. And she has a podcast, and hopefully, see, the one of the reasons I said I have to start my own stuff, because she might come across this podcast one day, but she can. <laughs> but I'm like, you cannot be sitting here talking all this trash and then going to put out a video like that. Nope. No, I, I, I'm torn about knowing whether it's the artist or if it's the production company that keeps them trapped in an image. And I guess you have to grow to a place where they can't stop your progression. Right. And they can't stop who you are. And I'm just tired of, you know, them pushing these products out. Now, my other pet peeve right now is Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift wants to be Beyonce so bad, it's killing her. It is kill she lays around at night, probably her room must be covered <laughs> in pictures of Beyonce because she wants to, so she came out her little country niche. And now she wants to be in the pop I, thing. And I want that Taylor back. I'd rather have the country Taylor back. Because now she's trying to get political. And now she's trying to be. And it's little girl. Though she's not a little girl anymore. Even though she keeps singing like she's a little girl. Little Ooh. girl, if this is not authentic. You are not the Dixie Chicks. The Dixie Chicks, when they say we were embarrassed by George Bush being from Texas, she meant that. Exactly. And I love that song. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, like she meant every bit of that. This stuff that's coming out of Taylor Swift right now is like, is this you or are they feeding you? They feeding you these lines to say. She just made a song about um, like acceptance for like the LGBT um, community, and the video was nice. Tadra Call produced it, mm -hmm. but like you said, it's just, it's just like I'm like her music is losing depth to me. All right. As to where when she first came out, when she was singing about Romeo and Juliet, yeah. like I felt that. Yeah, uh, and being young, and then I, I felt that from her, and I remember when her music went 
all pop and no mm-hmm. country at all. I was like, okay, this is all right, but... And then these last two, I don't know if it's been her last two albums, I haven't paid much attention to her at all. She was getting caught up in, like, scandals. She mm-hmm. had got caught up in that lie with um, when Kim Kardashian right. West called her out. Right. And I was so... That's one time I, in a long time. I was like, okay, Kim, because I don't... Li- I don't be here for Kim and some of the stuff she be doing too but when she called out Taylor and Taylor tried to lie on Kanye Mm-mm. she was not having it she was like oh recorded the phone call here it is stop clock twice a day even Kim Kardashian can be right every right. once in a while but no, it just feels inauthentic yes and so much of what she did was inauthentic. That whole business where she was dating Tom Hiddleston it was like oh come on like he walking around with a shirt on that says I love Tay Tay are we supposed to believe that I it, it's just created. Whereas you look at somebody like Beyonce, when Beyonce puts an album out and she makes that statement, she gonna own that statement. Yes. And you don't have to like it, but it is authentically her. Oh, when she made four, I'll never forget. She's like, I've, um, she was like, when you, what do you do after you sold seventy-five million albums, um, uh, toured the world, this, this, and that? And she said whatever the hell you want to do. Mm-hmm. She doesn't care about how much her albums sell anymore. And she took a turn. And I feel like Beyonce, she made B-Day, which had like Get Me right. Body and stuff. She made Sasha Fierce, the single ladies. Right. She made those albums to get to the point to where, because she crossed over to the pop mm-hmm. queen. And now the rest of her albums have been R&B, hip-hop and R&B, like real R&B, because that's like where she grew up with. Right. And when she made Lemonade, she had several genres of music on her album and regardless of i know people are like i like beyonce's first album the most i like the growth i've seen Mm -hmm. in her as an artist and how like her hard work that you see she didn't talk she didn't talk much you don't see interviews with beyonce so she's not out there talking Mm and she's out there Putting her money where her mouth is. She's being about it. She is not talking about it. They had like a a two-minute interview for the Lion King. (laughs) I said, they said, B, now we know you don't like interviews, but you're going to have to say a couple of Mm -hmm. words. And it was on the red carpet in the back room. They sat down, and that's where she did it. It was not in the studio anywhere. It was under her terms. And that's one of the things I've liked about, like, where she's taking her superstardom. Right. And how much in control she is of... She just has a she has a deal to make new movies with Disney. That's gonna be interesting because unless she ta- I love her, but unless she takes some acting lessons. Now I don't think she's going to be in the movies. Oh yeah. I just think like if she, if she has an idea or some type of creative, she's gonna be on. Like she'll a have creative. a pro- she'll have a production company, right? So she can put out what she wants to see out. That will be interesting, but no. As, yeah, like you said, as, uh, we all love the I love B. I but love B. Everybody ain't got to be everything. Yes, she is 100% on the stage. I must say, as bad a movie as it is, Obsession is still one of my personal cult favorites. Because, oh, let me see this. Let me say this, and then people can come after me later. <laughs> How often have you seen a movie where the black woman is the lead and some woman coming to steal a man? And she whoops the white woman's ass at the end right. of the movie. We've never seen that. Bad movie or not, it's like sisters are all over the country. We're sitting there going, yes, whoop Becky. Please yes, whoop Becky. Yes, yes, She said, you come into my house, you touch my child. <laughs> and, you know, usually she does, she, does, she does well when she has to sing in a movie. Right. 
But it's her comfort zone. That's her I think the zone. same thing for Jennifer Hudson. And it just comes down to it. When you're an artist, like it's like Cynthia Erivo. She's singing in every movie she's going to be in. Mm-hmm. But she, and she said, it's like, of course. If, regardless if it's a little hum here, she's she um, going to get it in. She's singing. It's the same for Beyonce. If they're, they're looking for somebody to sing and act, they're like, well, we're going to Well, gonna you know she's going to have the title song. You know she's going to have the end credit. So yeah, get it. and then that's that's part of her merchandising because then she makes money separately off of those two songs, whether the movie makes money or not. Right. So and I a lot of people had um, which was so funny to me. They said she was like horrible in The Lion King. I was like, it's a voice role. She and they're like she sounded so sensual. I was like, have you ever heard Beyonce speak before? And it was a new interpretation on Lion King. Whether people liked it or not. Nala was um, not a... She was a minor character in, yeah. in the original, so yes. I, I... And she was a strong... I mean, she pinned Simba. Even when she came back to... She was chasing Pumbaa. Uh-huh. In the cartoon, she took Simba down, who is a male lion. Well, Nala was the, the ladies do all the work in the pride. The ladies do all the hunting in the pride. The male lions are lazy. So that makes sense. But I haven't seen this. I haven't seen it yet. Um... So it it would be I'm sure they worked around her limitations. Right. I'm sure they worked around her limitations. They just it's it's just funny how everyone made the focus about Beyonce. They're like posting about her like y'all not about to make somebody post that y'all not about to um do Beyonce and the Lion King like David Ruffin is the temptation <laughs> and I cracked up. Oh, I was like, but you man. making this post is making that happen. That happen. That. When I see stuff, I didn't post about Popeyes. And Chick-fil-A. Oh, I'm I like, I'm not adding to that. I, th- no, I, I think I saw a Ricky Smiley bit where he, they, they took a Ricky Smiley bit where he talked about the difference between a white marching band and a black marching band. Mm-hmm. And they said Popeyes versus, and H, Popeyes versus uh, Chick-fil-A. Um, but no, other than that, I have not had the sandwich. They I had, don't know. Um, a, a meme with Kirk Franklin and Pies because they always say that they look alike. They said Kirk Franklin was Chick Fil A and Pies was uh, Popeyes. <laughs> I said they are out here disturbing the peace. <laughs> well, I've always said that Chick Fil A is white folks cooking fried chicken, and Popeyes and churches was your mama doing Sunday dinner. It was always that way. And let me get my political dig in. I don't do Chick-fil-A because they spend their money trying to defeat LGBT LGBT issues. They're spending their money for people like me not to be married. Uh Uh-huh. And I've had it before. It was good. But knowing that, I'm like, I just can't go there. People always say, well, they hire gay people. They hire black people. I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. And then they take... Because it's it's helping them. Take their money and they give it to causes that... Well, at this moment, you got a president that is having his attorney general argue in the Supreme Court that you should be able to fire people because they're gay. I'm not contributing to that. I'm not ever contributing to that. So I'm on the pride board for Youngstown. And so Chick-fil-A will offer us food because they're individual franchises. So the franchises can do what they want to do. And they will offer us food and it's like, they can bring all, they can bring a truck down here, offload a ton of chicken sandwiches. I won't be eating one. Because the overall brand, the overall understanding when you see their logo is one Chick-fil-A and there's one message behind that big brand. Right. And I understand the different franchises and stuff, but again, I can't 
give any of my money that's going to something that's going against me. No. Well, no. And I, I can't even imagine if there were a company that said, you know, we don't like black folks, so we're going we to send, send our money to organizations that are about the business of denying black folks the vote or civil rights. Right. Fire them for being black or wearing there, their hair. There is no way in hell I would ever give that company money. And so Chick-fil-A, for me, is the same idea. You can't disenfranchise my peers, my brothers, my sisters, Thank and you. expect me to support that. Thank you. So you did mention your community involvement with the Pride Board. So how long have you been on that board? Since the beginning. We started in 2010. In 2010? No, we must have started before that. So I think we might have started in 2009. So yeah, this year was, tenth, was yes. over our 10th year. Yes, I sadly could not be here. I really wanted to be, we but I was it. away um, doing Shrek. I wish it was on a Saturday where I could have snuck away because you know I would have drove up and here loved to do it. And um, I remember when I used to, like before I came out and stuff, my friend's mom lived in one of the um, apartments down in the tower, and I would just sit up there two years in a row, I would just watch Pride happen. Mm -hmm. And I was just like coming out, but I was just like, no, not yet, you know, not, I, I can't go. Everything in your own time. Everybody, I was just like, no, people are going to see me. <laughs> well, at some point you gotta make a choice, and, and, and I can't speak to the idea of coming out, because it's not my issue, but when I got on the board, I got it from both sides because I got it from straight people. How? What? What are you doing? And how do you? How do you? How you think you're involved in that? And then I got it from gay people who thought I shouldn't be on the board because I was straight. And it's like, look, I'm here to do the right thing. Right. Y'all can not like it. I'll live with the consequences, but you can't tell me where I have to be in my journey for helping other people. You can't do that. Yes. That's not you. So, I'm there. I'm the designated straight. We laugh. It's like one. One black, one white, one blonde is like one le one lesbian, one gay, and one straight, straight, straight chick. So, <laughs> so. and with pride, because you know, there's always the other side, the combative force of, well, why isn't there a straight pride? Because it's straight pride every day. Things like this, like BET or like Black Pride or. Yeah. Um, women's pride, they only arise out of situations where people are being pushed into a corner, being oppressed, being discriminated against. No one would need a parade to feel good about yourself if uh, a larger group of people were making you feel exactly. bad about yourself. Exactly. Well, how limited does your thinking have to be that you think somehow straights are oppressed in this society? You know, wait, let me see. Can I turn on my TV and see a straight love story? Oh! No. Can I turn on my, can I turn, can I walk down the street and see straight people kissing and not have anybody react? <gasps> That's like the whole, like, get out of here. You're putting these gay people on TV. What about our kids? I'm like, what about your kids? And it lets you, me know how they have, like, people just don't think we give people too much credit for being smart. People are idiots. People are stupid. Some people don't think past, uh, like they just don't, mm -mm. they can literally, they'll ask you a question that they have never even thought about. I was like, you didn't even need to ask this question because if you thought about it or even said it out loud, you would know the answer. I always try and remember that. I don't know about you, but when I drive, people drive me crazy on the road because they can't drive. Like the passing lane is the passing lane. Yes. You know, <laughs> the speed limit is 65, don't drive 42. And it dawns on me as I'm thinking about that. 
All of these people got licenses. All of them got licenses. But what it's telling you is that there are a whole bunch of not smart people out here on the road, and there are a whole bunch of not smart people out there in real life that just aren't thinking about what the consequences of what they're doing are. Mm -mm. So. And I, it's, I was saying that to say um, it's only been 10 years of pride, and it's just not that much time. And that has gone by. And even for me, like I graduated in 2009 and I didn't come out until I was like 22. And I consider my full come out was like after I talked to my dad okay. because, I, because he's just the strongest man I know. And his acceptance for me was the most important because it's, it's my dad right. and the whole stigma with fathers and stuff. So even then, and now, you know, I'm 28. I think sometimes people see the person I am today and they don't, Think know about journey. my journey. Mm -mm. They don't know how insecure I was, how fearful I was. How when I did first come out and I would stand at a bar, I could hear everybody's thoughts and assume or think and create that they're talking about me. Anytime somebody laughed, I thought they were laughing about me. Of course. And just to be in a new, just to be in a place to where I don't hear those voices. Mm -hmm. and just I can just live. Right. Like when I was down in Springboro, you know, I wear my jackets, right. I have my long dresses, I got skirts now, earrings, I got heels. I would walk into places and not think of, and not be aware of where I was and, and being black and gay and flamboyant. Because you own I, your moment now. Yeah, but being up there in some of the, in the areas, I had to think about having to be aware. Yeah. I walked into a gas station one day and I, I didn't have on like anything too much, but mm -hmm. it was like a dashiki. It was right. long. I was like, I just stopped and I was like, I turned around and I was like, I'm in Hickstown. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be more aware because, you know, crazy people are in the world. I need to at least be aware. I need to at least be look, uh, you know, aware yeah, of my surroundings because, like you said, I'm just like, I just am, am comfortable in my skin. And sometimes I realize that I'm still working on things. Oh, yeah, uh, just absolutely. being comfortable with myself as a person. And it really gets there with me of like what well, my sexuality because I spent 20 plus years denying denying who I was and then like feeling horrible and hating myself and when I realized that I was like 25 so I came out in two years I thought I was living my best life mm -hmm. I was like I'm me I'm me nobody <laughs> tell me nothing y'all need to accept us for who we are I was I was that guy I was on right. Facebook I was telling you like it was yeah. and then about 25 and 26 I started to calm down a little bit more and but I was starting to learn more about myself I was starting to learn more about people like me I discovered because nobody in my family wanted to tell me that my uncle passed away from HIV Oh. And I was like, so y'all didn't tell my gay self that I had a gay uncle and that the HIV AIDS epidemic actually affected our family. And I was learning all of these things and then I was watching documentaries. I was reading on things and when AIDS got to America and the whole epidemic, whether it was sleeping around or the way they use it as a weapon, to see myself in them. I'm like, not only now do I have movies about slavery and discrimination on that <laughs> part, I'm watching another film about people wanting to get rid of another part of me mm -hmm. as a whole. Right. And I'm just, I'm like, I can't believe I spent 
most of my life hating myself because of how other people felt about me. And then to come out and to think I had to be grateful to be accepted. I was so grateful. I, was, I felt like I needed to be on my P's and Q's for people to accept me. So then to move past that and then not to even realize that I was still dealing with that. Mm -hmm. For about a year and a half, I was like on an emotional like breakthrough, but like kind of breakdown. Right. Kim, I would be places and I would just burst into tears. Oh my God. I, don't, I'm not, I wasn't that type of like person, but the bad thing was I didn't know, I didn't know why, why it was happening. Right. I was just, and when I say uncontrollable, like uh -huh. I would just, it would be like 30 minutes, I would just be crying and trembling, like what's wrong? I'm like, I, I don't know, just hold me. Yeah. And that's when I realized I had self-hate. And it's watching shows like RuPaul's Drag Race to to just be able to hear that conversation be had. Right. I was like, wow. Whoa. Whoa, that that's me. Exactly. I was lucky enough to meet Todd Call at Cincinnati Pride. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I was like, I was just, first of all, I was just standing there. I was like, wow, this is like every bit of something I would like to be. But besides that, I was like, I'm so thankful to have a person like you be able to be a representation, representation not matters. just for me, because it's important for me, but it huh. would have been, it was more important for me when I was growing up to have somebody, because you know, I had, I was watching a show last, um, on um, an interview with the cast of Pose, and they said, mm -hmm. when did you first see yourself like on TV or on film? And for me, the first person that I saw that was like me was a woman. It was Whoopi Goldberg and Sister Act. Right. Dolores Van Cartier is every bit of who I think James Major Burns <laughs> is. And when I saw Dolores, I connected with Dolores. Right. And um, there were, the only gay character I can remember is Will and Grace, but, but Jack. Right. Jack, I saw myself in Jack. Okay. But I didn't want to be Jack. But I wanted to be more like Will. Right. I was like, I need to be like Will so people don't know this about me. Well, I, you know, I, I watched old movies back in the day, and there are movies in the 40s and 40s through the 50s where there was a gay character, but it wasn't ever said. Uh, Oscar Levine? Oscar, there's a there was a character actor in the 40s and the 50s, and if you knew anything, you knew this character was gay, and the people on the set when they wrote the script knew this character was Oscar Levine. They knew the character was gay, and you were watching it, and it was like, I related to that person because it's like, in real life, that man is catching hell when he leaves it, but he's making this movie. And so you, there was representation that was quietly seen. Joan Crawford, people like that, it was quietly seen. Now, for me, as a black woman, there wasn't any of that. So I, I relate to that. There wasn't any of that, and I'm not sure who the first black woman was for me that I, I, that I actually said, yep, there I am. Um, it may have taken all the way up till scandal or something like that for Let somebody else. Let me tell else. you, isn't it, and isn't it crazy to think about that? Yeah. Like even with the progression in the world or how we want to believe like we're moving forward, even with yourself, it's like when you don't see yourself on TV, which is what most of the world uses, it's just what, where we get to see ourselves, because like I, I say all the time, I don't get to, like I, I was saying before we started, I don't get to see myself on stage. Exactly. So sometimes, I, when I did Pippin last year, I felt horrible, I didn't, I thought I was what? doing horrible. It, it was tough learning, it was a tough process for rehearsal yeah, and everything. Yeah, it's a tough part. And I didn't understand the leading player, I didn't understand the story, I, I was confused. I was like, who is the leading player? Am I his conscience? Am I, am I the devil? <laughs> I was so confused and it was frustrating. And I, it wasn't until the second weekend
Did and it I was hit? like, oh, okay. I kind of get this. And I was watching the videos. I was reading the character description. Right. But I could not, for the Connected. life of me, figure it out. I got on Facebook Live in intermission one time and apologized. I said, <laughs> if you came to see Pippa today, I apologize for the trash oh, I presented. No, never. I felt, I just f felt totally disconnected from the character. Never apologize to your audience that way because they, they may well have not had that confusion about you and they were enjoying it and now they got this. What's, what's he saying? I know. I just, that's how bad I felt. Oh. I felt like I was not delivering a good performance. I just, and I, could, and I was emotional. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was still emotional. I was going through um, a tough situation with some friends. Right. So it was affecting Your my performance. performance and how I was walking around in the world. Well, it's, it's interesting. I had, I did, I did a, sh <laughs> I did a show last year and I got cast because I was the right age. They they needed to cast somebody that was a certain age, and so they cast me. But apparently, they did. When somebody told them, "Yeah, we know somebody," they didn't mention that I was black. And apparently, there was. I got the part, but when I left the room, apparently there was some discussion about, "Oh, she's black. How is that going to affect this story?" And it's like it has absolutely no effect to the story. And I didn't find this out until much later. Like the Little Mermaid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what was funny is I had to ask, shout out Pat Foltz. Um, I had to ask Pat Foltz. I said, you know, I'm feeling that part of this character is that I have to reflect my reality, that I'm a black woman. You modernized it enough. You know, so, and she said, you, as an actor, you bring who you are to whatever part you're playing. So whatever your reality is, is going to be in, if reflected in your character. And there was a moment in the show where I don't think the director knew that it was coming and we were in a performance and there's a scene where people are talking behind my character's back. And all, I, in that moment I felt, now what would, what would a black woman, and I took off my earrings. I took off my earrings <laughs> off stage. They're like, yeah, we gonna go. And there were three people in the audience that knew what that meant and, and fell out laughing. I would have been one of them. I would have fell out my seat. I, when I walked off stage, there were people that were working the show, and they walked up to me and said, we love what you're doing with this character. I said, oh, really? I, she said, yeah, it's Beatrice from Wakanda. <laughs> Don't they, some people call that the Black Woman's National Anthem when, oh, they, yes. take the, <laughs> when they take their earrings out? I was like, uh-oh. Three people knew what it was, and they fell out laughing. And it was like, yeah, well, I'm black. I can't pretend I'm not black on stage. So I may as well let this character reflect some of that. Right, it's the first thing you see. I've had a lot of conversations with um, straight um, black males about mm -hmm. um, them feeling like I put my sexuality in front of my blackness. I was like, well, no, that's you. Because the first thing you notice about me when you see me is either that, well, it's probably that I'm black and then that I'm male. Mm -hmm. And then once you talk to me, <laughs> you know I'm gay. But besides that, I was like, I don't put forth my gayness before my blackness. I have to speak about it a lot right. because people have a, a huge yes. issue about it. Right. People aren't complaining to me about being black. In fact, it's black people complaining to me about being gay. Right. So if you hear me talk about it a lot, it's because you, you're bringing it up. Well, but I'm open for conversation. I, black people, it annoys me about black people that they would, they ride or die if something's racist. Ooh. 
they ride or die if something's racist. But don't see homophobia is the exact same thing. In fact, they say it's the exact. I, t- I tell, I have conversations, have had them. I say, you guys want me to forget about my sexuality to fight the fight about being, you know, of, of racism. But I'm like, I feel the same way about you when it comes to how you feel about me for being gay. And they're like, it's two different things. Raci- be, um, racism and um, homophobia are different things. Like, you can't compare them. I'm like, here I am, mm-hmm. black and gay. Right. Comparing them. Like, you don't have... Living both. Like, you don't have the burden of blackness in this society. And on top of it, you have the burden of gayness and homophobia in this society. I, as a black woman, I get that. It's like, well... Here it comes. When, when I walk in the door, both of them are right there. And so if I'm going to catch it, I'm catching it on both levels. So it's no difference. Homophobia is about being afraid of people who are different than you that don't affect your life in a single way. That's what I never understood. I, I don't understand why people want to know who I love and what we do and how it makes their lives change. Physically, I, mentally, spiritually. Ain't none of your business. Ain't none of your business. It, I, it has never ever, I have never walked into a courtroom and looked around the room and thought, oh, who's everybody in here sleeping with? It's not my business. I don't ask my friends who are married or in relationships about their Mm-mm. situations and their relations. I don't want to know. It's no. not my business. I, I don't know. I just, I guess I grew up different because my, my idea of you love who you love, and that's a beautiful thing, that you find love at all, whoever you find it with is a fabulous thing. Not my call to talk about who you chose. Now, okay, there are some really attractive brothers that have chosen some really ugly women. Now that, I may have something to say about, but as a general rule, it ain't my business. Speaking back on representation, um, Billy Porter is on Pose, and Pose is actually a show. And even for me, I'm not a black trans woman. Right. But when I watch that show and I- Don't you feel connected? I feel so connected to them from, discrimination that I felt and just as a person, as a human being. Yeah. I'm like, wow. But and no I, nobody I asked. Nobody asked. You know, growing up, I would go to the movies and I would see Indiana Jones. And when you're watching Indiana Jones, he's fighting the fight. He's beating up Nazis. He's doing this. He's having these adventures. And you relate. It's like, that's wonderful. I want to be like Indiana Jones. I, I know the first woman in a movie that I actually felt connected to, and that was Ellen Ripley in Aliens, because she was smart, and she was self-sufficient, and she was telling, no, y'all about to do the wrong thing. And she <laughs> took care of herself, and so I related to that character, but I don't ever think, oh, she's a white woman, we don't have anything in common. I related to that person because she was a person. Right. And one of the things I don't get is people that can't relate to a character on the screen that's gay or can't relate to a character on the screen that's trans. Those people are human. They're just like you in their journey. Because I will say, I know Billy did a group. Billy Porter plays Pray Tale to the T. Oh. I was surprised that none of the women got nominated for Emmys. I was a little surprised because I think Blanca is the heart of the show. Right. Blanca, the first season, and this second season that just ended, yeah. I'm like, Blanca does a great job. Acting, she takes me there. I, I, I this, is, this is the romantic in me. When she met that guy on the beach, and she, it looked like she was going to find love, I was like, yes! I know! Yes! You know, and I, I'm not, 
processing, okay, this is a trans woman. I don't care that she's a trans. She's a human that found somebody that loved her for who she was. That's amazing. Yes. What, what is there to not be happy about, about that? Because, again, it's, I was telling one of my friends last night, it's like when, when I see somebody else, like, it's like going to a surprise party, mm -hmm. and you're, like, so excited for your friend to mm -hmm. walk in and be surprised. I'm like, I, when, when I see other people happy, it makes me happy. Right. And when I see other people sad, it makes me sad. I don't want to, it doesn't make me happy to see somebody sad. Well, how miserable does your life have to be that you can look at somebody that's found somebody and, and hate on them? How, how miserable is your life? Unless you, you feel like that was the person you were supposed to be with and you just mad. Well, I'm sorry. I'm old school. If it's somebody I'm supposed to be with and I'm supposed to have them, then I just take it. <laughs> okay. Of course, it would have to be a fairly exceptional person for me it's, to do Exactly. That. So, but no, I, it, it, look, it, it's hard enough walking around this planet for however much time you've got. Yes. And be searching for somebody that's your other part. The, the song, The Origin of Love from... Uh, uh, the Angry Inch, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Mm -hmm. This idea that you're separated from the person that part of your soul is in this other person's body and you're looking for that. The idea that all of us are walking around looking for that and that somebody finds that other person, how can you not be happy for that person? How can you not be happy and, and, and be hopeful that that will happen for you if it hasn't yes. already happened? People, that's why I say I just try to do my job and be a light, be joy for anyone who right. might be going through anything. That's why I love to do theater. Right. Hopefully they can come and take this moment and it'll make them feel better. It'll make them look at life in a, a different way. If, if only for a moment. If only for a moment. Exactly. Lift somebody else's burden. Yes. For a couple of seconds through theater and art. So yeah. on top of you helping with pride, you also have done some other work. So... You're one of the executive directors for the Salon of Progressive Women's Organization. Uh, yeah, I am. We decided there, there's, in, especially in light of 2016, uh, there were a lot of people, and we were looking for an organization to be able to put some of our energy to work in the community. And uh, so we started the Salon, which does things like we do political forums so that you can see candidates out there and... Uh, I, the, the moment I think we're proudest of is there was a young woman here in Youngstown that was arrested for the murder of her boyfriend. And, okay, the murder in Youngstown, that's not that odd a thing. But what happened with this woman was she was young, very young. She had two children. She was pregnant. And this man had beaten her on multiple occasions. And the cops dropped the ball. They never arrested him. Mm. She called like four times. They came out to the house. And this last time, she was, like, heavily pregnant, and this man hit her. And she picked up a knife to defend herself. And as it happened, she hit an artery trying to defend herself. And they hauled her off and charged her with murder. And we looked at that, and I, I researched the case, and I looked at and I went back to the salon and said, we got to get this effort out of jail. We got to get her out. There is no reason for this young woman who was pregnant with twins to be sitting in jail on a murder that shouldn't ever have been called a murder in the first place. And so we raised the money and we bonded her out and we got her out before her trial. We got her out before she had her babies. And ultimately it was nice. We showed up at court. Um, the judge was kind of 
not real happy about the charge either. And so ultimately, she ended up pleading out to a lesser charge. She had been in jail. The judge said, you've done enough time. And so she didn't do any more time, and they let her go. And she's out, and she's living her life, and she's happy, and her babies are back with her. I hope she can live a, a peaceful life because of what she had to do to survive. She, she got help. We got, well, we didn't, we weren't, well, we were somewhat helpful in that, that we got her help. She got like a therapist and she had a social worker and she got people that came out. And what was amazing to us is we sent out the call, we need stuff for this woman and people just diapers and blankets and everything. And people showed up because they really wanted to help this young woman. Because that could have been anybody. That could have been anybody you know, your sister, your cousin, yes. anybody. And there's been very, not very few, but there's been several domestic violence um, uh, yeah. cases around where the woman ends up dead. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that was what horrified me about that particular case because it was like, wait, how many times was she supposed to let him beat her before she defended herself? And call herself? you for help. And you don't do nothing. You don't take him away. And she accidentally killed him. So I, I just made a post on Facebook about um, domestic violence against women, and they said over 30,000 women were murdered between either last year or between now and last year. The m one of the most common reasons for death in the African-American community for women is domestic violence, that your partner will turn on you. It's, 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 cr it's cr so crazy to me because I think the woman and especially our black women are so undervalued, especially by ourselves. And now that melanin is popping mm -hmm. and it's a trend, everybody wants to be like black women oh, yeah. or queens. And I even when had to check myself after I did the right. color museum, right. I was like, wow, you know, the hair piece. Yeah. Um, I, I had a talk with some of my female friends who happened to be very dark skin or, mm -hmm. or brown skin and about how they felt growing up in their hair. And they still were like, well, you know, I was nappy headed and dark skin, so. Right. And it was like uh, water off a duck's back to them. They, it didn't even phase them to talk about it now. And it's almost like they weren't going to deal with those emotions anymore. They're like, oh, whatever. I'm like, wow, but even myself, I would say things and how we were raised, how we were brought up, that's the type of jokes that were made. So I would jump in on them. And I just think, I was like, why weren't we taught better to do better about things like this? Why wasn't I taught to look at at a young age as my sister, as a, as a queen, as my friends, as these queens that we should treat with more respect or be nice. I've always been the most kind to women because I'm a mama's boy. Right. So I treat girls like my mom and my sister. That's good, that's good. There are a lot of folks that don't. Uh, yeah, again, it's that sort of thing that if you don't feel good about yourself, then you need somebody else to look down on. And I think that's true with race, I think that's true with sex, I think that's true with sexuality. If you don't feel good about yourself, you're looking for somebody else to look down on. And so we treat black women like crap because everybody else is looking for somebody to feel better than. And uh, it just it just annoys me. I you know, I get still get to deal with it every day. I walk into court and I can have on a suit, I can have my briefcase, I can walk to council table and people will still assume. How does it feel like all the, after all of these years, because you graduated from the Denison and then Denison. went to Akron Law School. The guy who plays Shrek and um, that well, he graduated from Denison also. Oh, when I saw that, that I was like, oh my gosh, that's two people now I know that graduated from um Denison. Yeah, Denison, not yeah, only about two thousand people on campus at any given point. 
Um, how does it feel when you're always, like two questions, how does it feel like being the only black woman or black person in there? And then how does it feel after all of these years of you practicing law, whether you're the attorney or if you're just in the room, still being like one of the only black people or black women in there? It used to, you know, I used to just suck it up. You know, they would, I'd walk in and it's like, well, is your attorney coming? It's like, I am the attorney. <laughs> You know, and I wouldn't make a big deal of it. And after this much time, because I've been in practice for 30 years, after this much time, if you say that to me, I'm calling your boss. I had a deputy that I walked up to council table, put my stuff down, sat down, and uh, walked up to the bailiff's desk to get something. And this deputy stepped between me and the bailiff's de desk and said, well, you have to wait for your attorney to come and you have to go sit back in the gallery. And it was like, son, you done messed up. And when I left court, I put it on Facebook. I called the sheriff's office. I left the sheriff a message. And when I left, people, I, people said, what's the number for the sheriff's office? I put it on Facebook. He got about 35 calls in 20 minutes, all of them fussing about how dare you treat this woman this way. And he was like, I, and I know that it was never said. He finally called me and said, could you? like get your posse to back up. I said, can you get your deputy to figure out that I'm a lawyer? And uh, after that, I've noticed a noticeable difference. I, I call I call folks out now. I don't I don't put up with it anymore. I'm glad you do, but to, to, even to say that to you, is it normal for a person who's in court, who's waiting on their lawyer, for them to just walk into court and walk up to the judge or walk up to the bailiff as they please? No, defendants do not. Defendants or people that are there for cases do not do that. You clearly look like a woman who knows what she's doing, been around the, the block a couple of times. So I, why even address you like that? I would I would have thought you were somebody of importance or one of the lawyers or attorneys based on what you were doing at the time. Because their bias overrides what they see. I, it's pretty clear that somebody walking in with a suit with a briefcase that that is confidently going where they're going probably belongs there. Right. But because these people have these subconscious biases, they see a black woman first, they don't look and say, oh, she got on a suit, she got a file, she looks like she knows what she's doing, and cut that off. They don't override their reality. Their bias overrides their reality. And I just... I'm so sorry for you that your brain is that limited. I actually have a friend right now studying to take the bar. Miss Tia. Hey, Tia, girl. Congratulations um, and condolences, baby. <laughs> I would let her know. And so that's another uh, beautiful black woman who will be hopefully joining, you know, the team pretty soon. And um, there's not that many that I do know that are attempting um, law. It's... It's not easy. It's not, well, th there are more black women rightly in law school now than any p other point in history, but they don't make it easy for you because the process, you got professors that, that have not worked on their bias. And so you sit in class and they don't assume you know or they don't assume that you're capable. And so you're still carrying that burden of having to prove every day to everybody you deal with. And I, I had one professor, in, and I, I won't say he was biased, but he, he let me know, okay, we're we gonna throw it out in this gauntlet, see whether you pick it up. He assigned me this case, I was supposed to brief this case, and it's the worst case in law school 
classroom procedure, Penoyer versus Neff, it's about five lines long. And from that five lines, you're supposed to figure out what happened, how the court ruled, why they ruled that with five lines. You're supposed to figure all that out from these five lines, which none of that is in there. And so he looked and said, well, Aikens, I guess you'll be doing that case on oh. Friday. And it was like, never challenge me, son, never challenge me. I spent the night in the law library. I walked in that day wearing kente cloth on purpose. I know that is right. <laughs> and he turned and went, okay, Pernoy versus Neff. Aikens was like, all right, on April 16th, 1856, Mr. Pernoy wrote a letter to his great aunt about some property that he owned in Oklahoma. And he looked at me, started laughing, and said, all right, just give me the holding, Aikens. You don't got to do it. We know you did it. We know you did it. Just give me the holding. And I said, the holding is that you cannot attach personal property in realm. He's like, thanks, Aikens. And it was like, Yes, you threw down the gauntlet, I picked it up and ran with it. Now you know. Now you know. And, and that was a thing, with, at least with that professor, it was like, now I'm going to have to respect her because she don't play with, she ain't playing with me. So, how much has the world actually changed? And I ask this because you're older than me. And you, it's, it's like living in different times. It's exactly. Living in a different world. And I had to have a conversation with some of the younger black guys in Shrek about how much harder we have to work. And I'm sure there's been, that conversation has been had for years and years and years and years and years. So how much change have you actually seen? Do you think the, we're moving in? Cause I saw this guy, he made a post about the, um, it's an actor. Mm -hmm. He said he feels like racism is dying because of the fight of trying mm -hmm. to keep it. He's like, he's like, it's dying. We may not see, it overall right now, but the way that the fight is happening right now, things are changing. It's, it's, I think it's sort of, we're looking at the last gasp of hardcore racists, you know, trying to, trying to survive. But you ask, how is it different? It's interesting. I started off my legal career as a prosecutor for the city. And at that point, there were what, maybe two other black women lawyers in town. And so lawyers would walk in and I would have their file and I'm the one you have to come to to talk about what we're doing on this case. And lawyers would walk in, walk up to me, see me with the file, see me talk to the judge, see me put stuff on the record, and still go, um, is the prosecutor here? And I would look at them and I was like, boy, you are exceptionally stupid if you don't realize that the person that just put the, put the Rule 11 agreement on the record is not the prosecutor. And it was like, yeah, they're around here someplace. And, they were, well, could you tell me when he comes in? It's like, yeah. Of course, because it's a guy. If, if he comes in, I'll be sure to let you know. And so I would let those people sit. I would deal with everybody else and wait to see whether they would figure it out. Because the lawyers that knew me would come in, we'd work their case, they'd, we'd put it up, and then we'd be done. And I would wait to see how stupid are you before you finally figure out that I let one lawyer sit for two and a half hours. I let him sit there for two. I took cases that didn't have lawyers on them at, in front of him. And he finally walked up and went, is the prosecutor going to show up? It's like, well, I see your file right here, and I'm the only one left in the room. Who might I be? He was so dense. It was like, I'm going to work the worst deal ever. Now, that was when I started my career. Now, I did some time recently at, back in the city as a prosecutor, and... I didn't have that anymore. They came in, they realized right away who it was and who they had to deal with, and they, and they dealt with me. 
And so just that little bit that they finally recognize, oh, this black woman in a suit might be the person I got to deal with, and I might not want to piss her off because she controls what happens next. So that kind of thing has changed. Um, in terms of, I, in t I can go to outlying places now and not be as afraid as I was in the old days. So I went up to, I had a case up in Avon, which is a fairly wealthy suburb, and walked in and nobody blinked. Nobody thought any different, nobody. And they kind of they, they kind of laughed because apparently they'd gotten around. Oh, you hear from Youngstown? It was like, yeah, my client, <laughs> yeah, I'm from Youngstown. It was like, oh, okay. Because apparently Youngstown has its own reputation. So I got a very nice deal with the prosecutor and got it done. And so it is different. It is different to, to know that things have changed a little bit. Now, have they changed completely? Of course not. Of course not. It's, I always feel like, um, I don't know, I will see a time where systematic racism is gone or where we really don't have to think or second guess ourselves for being black, gay, a woman, trans, and everything is what you want to call equal. Um, I don't know if we'll, we'll ever make it to a place like that because of us being human beings and exactly what the world is actually and what we're made up from the world. I was watching, um, there was a, um, I, I don't know if he's a physicist, but his name is Neil deGrasse, deGrasse Tyson. Tyson. Yeah. And he was there's he, there was a show on Netflix about the um, the world and he was talking about like how ways like the universe is always trying to kill us but one thing um, there was an episode um, like one series with um, astronauts and how they have been in space for how many days and then you know back on Earth and they talked about how different it is to be in space which of course I can guess right. but it didn't they realize how much the Earth is a part of them. Right. And how gravity pulls their organs down. Right. And when they're in space, it's just, it's like floating. And how much, like, again, we the world is a part of us. So thinking about if we have to go survive somewhere else, we wouldn't even know how to do that or how that will work because we have the sun, we have gravity, we are made up, you know, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. We are literally made up of the Earth. Right. Well, I think... I think what happens is humans change, and you can see, if you don't believe humans change, in my lifetime, the idea of a computer, that your phone is more powerful than a full floor of IBM computers in, in 1964. It has more, ca more capacity than this whole floor of uh, hardware that they had to build to do simple calculations. And when you look, when you go someplace and you see two-year-olds and three-year-olds on the phone working the phone, they come here thinking that way now. Yes, my godson is too. He barely speaks. Mm -hmm. But he go, go to my phone. He don't read, but he know where YouTube is. Exactly. Exactly. And so we change. We grow, I, you know, in 10 years, I'm not sure what my nephew will know how to do. But it will be completely different, and a lot of us are catching up. A lot of us are catching up and trying to figure these things out. And so that's what I hope happens with with racism and sexism. That you know, this next generation will realize how to get past that. That it matters less. I will say I had I have open conversations with white people 
about racism. And I said, we gotta have, we just gotta talk because like when I was in Shrek, there were like two other black kids. It was one black little girl mm-hmm. and then two other black guys in the show. They were 19, 22. But um, we talked to like the cast and stuff about mm-hmm. race. I got pulled over on the 4th of July and I told them how, I, I think he let me go because I was shaking. Like, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't stop. Right. Like, I, I, I don't know not why that day I was not more scared. Yeah. Than I, I could not stop shaking him. I had to put my hands together to stop him from shaking. Ow. He actually looked back. I felt like he looked at me and felt sorry for me and let me go. I just got so scared. I was just like, before I, I left to go to Spring World, I had, I rolled through a stop sign. Lord knows I did it. I, I, as soon as I rolled through it, I saw that police officer. I was like, I know he saw me. I'm going to just stop. Right. And he came swooping. And I was trying to get my ID out of my phone before he got out of the car. I dropped my phone in my lap. I threw my hands up so fast. Uh, I said, uh-uh. I don't want no accidents. My hands were up like this. And this is how I spoke to him. Officer, I just <laughs> want you to know, I dropped my phone. I'm going for my phone. They can think I sound stupid or I'm acting too much, but no, I am not kidding. Right. I do not have anything in the car. Might be some captain in the trunk, but it's closed. <laughs> I do not have anything. Please don't shoot me. Right. And it is that serious to me because yep. nobody thought it was going to be in Ferguson. They didn't think nope. it was going to be in any of these cities. These cities aren't known for whatever reason until something like that happened. And I believe it can be me. I believe it can right. be any of us. And to me, when that start stuff started happening, to me it was like, just so you know, we will shoot you and you, we will kill you. Don't forget. Yeah, that's forget. what it was. That was a reminder of. Never, don't no, forget who you are. We don't want. have to hang you from a tree. We'll nope. shoot you right here. We put it on TV. And, and we'll get away with it. Yes, and we'll we get will. away with it. We'll send them right back out to police your streets with those exactly. same people. Exactly. I, I, as a black woman, I don't have the same. I don't have as much concern about dying in my car. Now, what I do get is I have on more than one occasion been stopped in my car on pretext for being a hooker. Uh. And it's like, <laughs> I, just once, just ex- explain cannot. to me where this mobile hooker service is where the hooker drives her car to the car, you know, and you can tell based on the fact that she turned left in a way that you didn't like. I was like, really? Really, we got to do this? And they did the one the one time they did it. I, at the time, I owned a Jaguar, and it was like this is about you being in this car that they don't think you're supposed to own, and just not being able to process that some of us are living a different kind of life. And it was what was funny about it was that I could hear the I could hear the radio in their car, and so they had to call into dispatch to you know, get my license and all of this. And they called into dispatch, and the person that was on the other end of the radio knew who I was. And I heard him say to this officer, um, you might want to ask if she's still a county prosecutor. When he came back to the car, it was a whole different party. Because mm. now he thought, oh, shoot. She, and he said, well, are you, are you still in the... Prosecutor's office, I still work for the county. Oh, well, here's your license. Have a nice day. It's like, damn, Skippy, you didn't pull the wrong one. That you got to go out your way to make something up about somebody just because 
I don't believe that they should have this car, and I don't believe that the person this color should be driving this car. Like, you stopped me for a headlight that was out. All you had to do was stop me, say my headlight was out, and Give let me, me go on my way. Give me my ticket or not. And it's crazy to me, like, when I was talking about being in the closet for years, things I don't think about, like having this conversation, I'm like, wow. I remember I lived on Aberdeen. Mm -hmm. Now, it's up on the south side. Right. It's a nice neighborhood, but it's like not like a, it's not a rich neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I, was, I worked at McDonald's on South Avenue. I came, the way I came home, I would drive behind Pemberton Park, make a right, make a left, make a right down the street, so I didn't have to go through two lights. Right. I don't want to go through no lights. And a police officer, I saw them start, I saw them driving behind me, and I was like, are they going to pull me over? Mm -hmm. So I was on the, I got to the corner, three houses down from my house, they pulled me over. Mm -hmm. We just wanted to know what you were doing driving in this neighborhood. <laughs> well, sir. I'm going home. I live right there, and that's my dad on the porch who just walked out because he saw me stop because mm -hmm. I was driving his car. Right. And I was 18 years old, and it just made me think about how long I've been afraid of the police and driving. I was so scared. You know what they told me? Oh, the light over your license plate is out. It's the daytime. <laughs> One, and at nighttime, if your lights are on, you can see it. So I don't understand what the problem is. I didn't even know that we had lights over our license plates. I was like, the light over my license plate? Right. It's the daytime. <laughs> like, I, And they let me go. But my, my dad started to come outside, that, and that's when they were like, all right, we're just going to check in because, you know, there's been break-ins. What that got to do with me? In a car, driving down the street. No, different if you I at somebody's window. With to 1 p.m., I did not want to be stopped, sir. Exactly. Like you said, if I'd have been at somebody's house, walking through a backyard, like, oh, this you is might just have the way I reason. go. You might I'm have driving. And it's the, Kim, it was the daytime. I turned two corners. I literally came down South Avenue. I made a left on Zedeker. I made a right by the park, a left on Shady Run, and then a right down my street. If that, that was too many turns for them. I, I had to get home, sir. <laughs> I, I had to, I had to do, I couldn't teleport, so I had to drive the car. I, it just, it just annoys me that people can't get past their stuff. And then there's like the people like my age who don't understand, uh, well, like, like white people who don't understand. Like I said, we had a lot of conversations and one of the, my friends up there, he actually, you know, has an experience of the understanding because he has black friends and he grew up around black mm -hmm. people. One of his best friends is black. So... You know, when people, sometimes when people say, I have a black friend, it just means that they they do understand some things a little bit more of the experience of somebody already talking to them Maybe. and telling them. So they don't understand ex how I feel, but they at least have had a conversation because, you know, white people don't like saying black. They don't like saying the word oh, no. black. Cause they're, no, they're whispered. They're to whispered. them, it's like saying the N-word. But I'm like, no, you, you got to just, I'm black. You, you can say I'm black. I, I have a thing now that when somebody tells me, oh, well, my best friend is black. My next question is, when was the last time your black best friend had dinner in your house? And that usually stops the conversation dead cold because they can't tell you. There's a whole different, white folks think that if you talk to them and say hi at work every, that you're their friend. <laughs> They're like, no, I'm sorry, my friends have been to my house. So when we talk about my best friend, I can tell you when the last time was that I was at their house or they were at mine. If you can't tell me that your black best friend has been to your house for dinner, then I got to question whether you got a black best friend. Right. And just, I had a couple conversations with the girls up there. Right. And I, uh, I asked a couple of them on the podcast, I said, being a young white girl, how does it, how did you react to Ariel Bland Black? And one of the girls, some of them were honest, and they were like, at first I was like, 
this is different because, you know, right. I was like, it's okay if you were a little disappointed that Ariel wasn't going to look the way you wanted her to look. Right. But that, that, that shouldn't spark hatred. Like the one girl, I believe it was Bridget, she was like, when I first saw it, I was like, wow, that's different. Well, okay, let's see how this goes. Like, hopefully she's a good actress and a good singer. At no point in her mind did she think, why did this black girl be Ariel? She was just like, oh, that's different. I w you, no one was expecting a black Ariel. Well, you saw what happened when they cast um, the young woman that's going to be in the movie version. They lost, people lost their that's, mind. That's what we're talking about. Now, the difference is the girl, they're doing a live version also. Right. So the girl who plays um, voice Moana mm -hmm. is also Ariel. Okay. There's no backlash about her. My guess is because of her skin color. Right. She is Polynesian, but she's very, very, very light. Yeah. No one's saying anything. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't get it. And according to Will Rogers, who says I'm supposed to? But I don't get how the the melanin in somebody's skin affects how you see that story. I don't, you know, so she's black. Well, that, she's... Made up. She's, she's a mermaid, for heaven's sake. They don't exist. If they made Superman black, Superman is not real. No. He's allowed to be black. Well, and that's where I think people get confused, particularly in theater, when it's not uncommon to cast somebody black in a role that has never been played by somebody black before. But if it doesn't have racial consequences we'll on the script. On Facebook, because you mentioned um, like Disney princesses such as Tiana mm -hmm. or Moana, whose culture calls for the character to, to, be, that to be Polynesian, right. to be black in Louisiana. Right. You get this stupid comment on Facebook. Well, what if Martin Luther King was white? It's like, well, if Martin Luther King was white, he wouldn't have been Martin Luther King. He'd still be alive. He, well, he'd still be alive, <laughs> and he wouldn't have been the leader of a movement. He exactly. Would, so that story changes yes. if you change the race. It's, again, they're not thinking. They're just ready to fire back and be like, well, well. And then the, the people who make me the most upset is the, the people who don't even understand. They don't have an explanation. I'm like, why do you feel this way? Because. Be yeah. Because why? Well, my my dad said, why do you, do you even understand your emotions to why you think well, you're so upset? It gets back to the idea that people don't want to examine their own stuff. People don't want to examine, you it's know. It's easy to what, just sweep your stuff under the rug, just keep going. Yeah, and not actually think about what it is that you're saying or why it is you feel that way. People. People avoid, lots of people avoid thinking because thinking is work. It is. It's hard. Let me tell you, I, I wish I, sometimes I could just avoid thinking and just be. Uh, that's why I'm up at 3 o'clock and 4 a.m. in the morning. Like, I wrote a song about um, Ariel. It's called Hashtag My Ariel. Mm -hmm. And I performed it at Pride, and it was received well. And after the fact, I walked around, I, I told a couple people, I was like, you know, I, was a little, I wasn't scared, but I said white people in the song several times. So right. I didn't know how y'all was going to take it because, you know, you're white. And they were like, no, you were very clear because at one point I say some white people. Right. And this, all the Beckys who were, again, these are, this is a little, it's a film for kids. Right. But it's adult women who are making racist comments and teaching their children right. to segregate and discriminate. And that's the sad part. But we're going to move on from all that negativity all right. in the all world. Right. What is coming up next for you for, for theater? Uh, Theater-wise, we're doing, uh, in conjunction with Smash Up Entertainment, um, Ooh, we're yeah. Shout doing out Michael Dempsey. Michael Dempsey. Uh, we're doing a comedy of errors, and it's sort of an updated, kind of mangled 
Comedy of Errors, and we're doing it at uh, Trinity Fellowship on uh, South Avenue. We Our season got kind of messy this summer, so we needed to make up a show. So we're doing this one, and uh, it looks to be really, really funny. And it's accessible. People that are afraid of Shakespeare probably never come to see modern Shakespeare because we try to make it accessible. Um, and when will this be? We're, we're up September 20th, 21st, and 22nd. And it's free. And Ooh, you know where is it? You know I love free. <laughs> 20, Trinity Fellowship on South Avenue. I'd have to look up the number. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I know where that is. Brendan. Uh, oh, I, I know exactly where it is. So if you're going, if you make a right from South Avenue and Midlothian. Right. And it's before you get to Border. It's before exactly. Shields Road. In fact, exactly. it's right by that light. At, yeah. Um, Shields or Indianola? Once once it crosses right. Market Street, it's Indianola Road. But yes, I know where it is. So it's a it's, lovely stage. It's a great space. We're looking for it. It'll be the first time we're indoors. Um, so it's a great Ooh. space. So And it's still oh, free. Yes, you lovely people. Make sure you come and check that out because you'll know you love free because y'all cheat. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of slapstick comedy in it. There's a lot of physical comedy in it. And so you can come, you can bring your kids. The kids will like it because we fall all over each other and slap each other and do all kinds of other stupid things. So it's accessible to anybody. So anybody can come, anybody can see it. And it would be a good introduction to Shakespeare if you have not done it before. I just, I'm gonna see if there's, there's this guy I know, his name is Justin, but he goes by Baby No Chess and he's an up and coming comedian. Okay. He started doing his thing online got a lot of videos with a lot of views so I'm gonna see if he's available because he just came here wanting to with an interest to get into theater and we do a lot of serious things here but but because he's a comedian I think something like that might be good for him some of our best actors are people that are you know just funny in real life um, Jenna Centevi <laughs> We, we lost her to another show, but when you cast Jenna in a show, everybody else just backs up, because that, that moment is gone. When she starts speaking, that moment is gone. She's hilarious. She's I, hilarious. I loved working with her. I loved working with you on The Claws Father. It was so much fun. I, I had a great time. That was, that was different. I don't do a lot of comedy. I'm, I'm a more serious actress. What was your name, Foxy Cleo? Foxy, Foxy Mocha, Mocha Cleopatra Coffee. Brown. Foxy Mocha Coffee Be Cleopatra. Foxy Mocha <laughs> Coffee Cleopatra Brown. I can't remember, but it was, I tell you, it was a tongue twister to try to say all those times. Oh, it was its, it was its own joke, because I could because it kept changing. Cause... It's Foxy Mocha Coffee Cleopatra Brown. There we go. Foxy yeah. Mocha Coffee Cleopatra Brown. Yes. Dempsey wrote that, and he asked me about it when um, he was asking about the character, and I said, well, let's see. What was the name of every single Pam Greer film that she was ever in? The only thing we didn't get in there was Jackie. <laughs> so. Well, I, there was a few years ago they did um, a show here at the Playhouse, and they called all the theaters in to come and be a part of it. And I can't mm -hmm. remember if it was for autism, but Rust Belt was here, um, Top Hat came, Josh sang a, a song from Ragtime, but I wish there was a, a way that the theaters could combine and we do more things like that because I know everyone has their own thing. Everybody want to make their money and want to put on their own point of views. Believe me, I know because I like my stuff. I want to do a one-man show. I like to perform and, and I, I have a vision that I need to be able to bring to life my way. Right. But I still wish 
there we can have more camaraderie and I want to see us like on stage together like when Rob was came and he did um Hairspray he was Edna and Carla was um Mama Mabel Motor uh, Motor Mouth Mabel. Mabel I for me I was just like I was like well we got some Youngstown legends here I just felt it just it was just so fun for me to be on stage with them knowing their history right. and and the people that they are in the city so I want more times like that. I want more times like that to see people together. Right. We have so much. We have so much talent here. I, I just like marvel at people like Rob that you know writes and puts up his own shows. Creates and, everything. You know, from so scratch. from scratch. And people, people sleep on Youngstown. It's like there are some people here that rival anybody that's on stage in New York. Right. So I want to make this a city that people want to stop. I want them. I want to figure out how we can make this a city that people are like, oh, we got to go there to see that. Absolutely. Uh, theater breeds more theater. And so one theater company pops up and they offer one thing, and that means now you can see this kind of thing here, and now you can go over there and see the big show over at the Playhouse, or now you can go someplace in a black box theater and see a small show. And it just makes the community better because theater shows you a life that you haven't lived. And that makes it easier to relate to those people that are on stage. So I'm hoping you're right. I'm hoping we do something like that. We have to think about planning some kind of fundraiser where all yes. the theaters come together and put something together for the, use art to create some movement. Yes, so that do. would be fun. Well, I will have to say it has been very lovely talking to you. We could <laughs> sit and talk forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's still stuff we haven't hit. I know, but um, I wrote, wait, let me tell you, I wrote something down. I wanted to tell you that you are as beautiful on the outside as you are on the inside, and you are as sharp on the outside as your tongue is. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I admire you. you on many, many levels. I'm thank glad you. that I, to have you in my life, me and Trey's life, and I look forward to our relationship down the road. I can't wait to do another show with you. I know. Like you said, we're going to have to create something. I always say if somebody else don't want to let me do something, I'll create it myself. Well, that's it. That's it. Well, thank you for having me. You are, thank you for being my guest. And ladies and gentlemen, this has been The Third Degree with James Major Burns and Miss Kim Aikens. Bye-bye. <laughs>